This isn't the fanfic podcast. You, you can send us your fanfictions. Maybe we'll grade them. Uh, hey, hello. Hello. Yeah. hello, everybody, and welcome. And welcome. Welcome. Welcome to another episode of the Last Ones in Podcast. I am your host, Dry Archuleta, and with me today we have E. Hello. And then the person presenting the film today, Robbie. Hey. Hopefully, you guys don't set me on fire today. <laughs> well, well, eh, Sam doesn't hear, so there's not going to be a written review. Fair. Also, E has never set you on fire. He's <laughs> the only one. Every single time I say you guys, he gets I, mad at me. I, I, there are two of us here. <laughs> There's only two people that you guys he, can He set me to. on fire the least, but he gets the most defensive about it. Warranted. <laughs> Fair. Yeah. And the movie that you will be presenting, Robbie, is... A movie that I've been trying to show you for quite some time now called Brooklyn's Finest. Yes, um, which I will say at the beginning of this, uh, we have, we've, have a, we've had this movie on our docket for a while. Yes. Um, but because of from what Robbie told me is the general idea of the film before, um, we've put it on the back burner for a while because it does have to do with, uh, from what you said, dirty cops and whatnot. Yeah, and uh, I understand that... You know, last year, it was a very sensitive subject for a lot of people. I feel like that's been a sensitive subject for people for a long time, but reasons like that is why this movie was made. Right. And uh, one of the reasons why I thought that you would actually love this movie is because, well, I guess not love this movie. The reason I thought you'd like this movie, because um, you seem to rather enjoy Training Day whenever I showed that movie to you, and this was made by the same guy. It was fun enough. Yeah. Like, I, I, I'm not going to say I loved the movie. There was stuff definitely near the end I didn't like yeah. of that movie, but I did enjoy it. Yeah, I, I find this one rather enjoyable, too. Like I said, Antoine Fuqua is a rather good director, at least with the movies that I've seen of his. I haven't seen all of his stuff. It's but. a pretty good last name, too. Yeah. <laughs> Fuqua? Yeah. It's not bad. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't making a joke. I was, I was, yeah. That just seems like a pretty good last name. <laughs> kind of rolls off the tongue. Fuqua. All right. Um, I, I guess before we start talking about the movie, though, um, I'm going to ask E. Hello. How you doing? Doing okay. Uh, classes have started up for my final semester. Woo! Terrifying. Clap, uh, clap, clap, clap. <laughs> Crowd noises. <laughs> Hooray for endless Zoom meetings again. Yeah. <laughs> Only one's on Zoom, actually. The rest are on Teams. Oh. Uh, I don't like Zoom because it doesn't let me just be like, remind me that I have a meeting in like a day. It's like, you fucking idiot. It's not the time for the meeting, you idiot. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> cool. So doing that, and one of my classes is just to make a video game and publish it, so that'll be fun and stressful. In like three months, four months? Yeah. Hmm. Huh. Yeah, we'll see how I do. That's and, you know, it took a lot. three semesters for an entire team to do this. But That's a lot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it isn't expected to be like a big game, and they literally, the professor's basically there to tell you, tone down your scope. Oh, okay. <laughs> but I've also been told there's like an 100% success rate for actually getting it out somewhere. So I do not want to be the one. To... Well, yeah, yeah. It's a lot of stress to be like, you're the one guy who fucked this up. I know. <laughs> so that, and then mostly just art classes and another stupid entrepreneurship class. And from the description, it's the same class. They just called it something different. So I'm still <laughs> doing free labor. 
<laughs> and that well, pisses just... me off because this is my fourth semester doing this shit. They can't just call it free labor class. <laughs> no, they sell this Nazi too. <laughs> but it's free labor, so I'm going to call it that. <laughs> no, no, they usually call that internships. <laughs> That's how they yeah. get away with it. I don't even know if you could say that because I think like a majority of internships have a payment at least nowadays. Actually, yeah. Maybe nowadays. Do but... pay, I mean, it's usually like minimum wage, but well, yeah. still, it's something. I mean, a good example of that is like whenever I was in Job Corps, we had a on-job training, but that's, and I just call it like an internship because that's basically what it was, was free labor. Like even the company that I worked with, like that's even what they call it. It's like, yeah, it's just like, you know, no one else wants to do that job. So we just get someone from Job Corps to do it. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. But, um, so yeah, classes, uh, I beat Chrono Trigger. Hey. So, yeah. I barely beat I beat it this morning before I came. In fact, <laughs> I beat it like two hours before I came here. Oh, wow. So it's very fresh. Yeah. Cool. So, um, you got further than me and Dry then, I think. Mm-hmm. Oh, what? You got, yeah. You got to ask me about your thoughts on it. You haven't even been in the game. Come on. We'll I, I know I enough got... about the game to know, like, you know, where the end, like, what the ending is for the most part. I know there's like set, like, that was actually, if I remember correctly, the very first game to have multiple endings. I don't know about first game, but it's probably one of the pioneers of it, yeah. It it definitely is. One like, that was that graphically heavy, for sure. Yeah. And then uh, the more important thing, I beat the Astro Boy Omega Factor as well. Nice. Oh, the... Uh, <laughs> the Game Boy Advance. Game Boy Advance one? Okay, yeah. cool. <laughs> uh, other than that, mostly I was animating last week because I had only that time before I started classes. So I was like, ah! Just rushing all the animation out. Yeah. Cool. How'd that go? I finished like seven to eight seconds in a couple days. <laughs> Animation's the worst. <laughs> <laughs> okay, mister, I'm going to edit a podcast for like four days to get a two-hour thing, maybe. Animation's the worst. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, and painting, but that's not very interesting. About paint, but painting is very interesting. What are you talking about? Yeah, we went from painting, a light brown to white. There we go. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Painting, very interesting. Animation, no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the act of animating is very, very boring. If someone had to watch me do what I do for eight hours, they'd be like, can I go home? <laughs> I mean, you say that, but I'm pretty sure there's Twitch streams of like people just talking while they're drawing. Yeah, but they're talking. I'm just like sitting there listening to the music Dry hates <laughs> or watching someone else also draw while I draw. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. All right. Cool. Um, in my life, nothing much. Foot still broken, not as broken anymore. No actual broken bones, maybe bruised bones. But you, you might were have walking to around without it. a crutch, though. Yes, I don't have to use crutches anymore. So they that actually, is... they, they put that into the bone already, so he doesn't hmm. eat them. Hmm. Yes. Oh yeah, 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 of course. Uh, <laughs> the only like big thing is that I've been playing a ton of Immortals: Phoenix Rising, like a ton of it. It's it's just Breath of the Wild. <laughs> it's great. Uh, oh, and Five Iron Frenzies new album came out, and that's fantastic. I didn't know they were still making music. That's great. Yeah, they are. They did a Kickstarter album in like 2014, 2013, something like that. Uh, it was widely, hugely successful. And then they did another one this last year in 2020, and that was also hugely successful. Um, and they already released it. That's a pretty quick turnover rate, then. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's extremely political. Uh, out of like the 11 tracks, I think. Seven of them are about Trump and how awful he is. So if you don't like political punk ska stuff, uh, maybe not for you. <laughs> but they also have a song that fucking just completely tells uh, Denver politicians to go fuck themselves because they're corrupt. So that was weird. <laughs> is it another corrupt band that used to be Christian? 
They now? used to be Christian, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can't be Christian if you're talking politics, you know. Yeah, it's, uh, those are the rules. <laughs> um, but what, what's been going on in your life, Robbie? How are things for you? It's going to be me going, uh for 20 minutes. <laughs> um, back to work in six days a week. I don't know if it's going to be a permanent thing, <laughs> oh, but good. it definitely happened this week. <laughs> the crazy thing about last night is, uh, I don't know if you guys remember about me hypothetically being pulled off of a project, uh-huh. but I may have hypothetically been put back onto the hypothetical project <laughs> because we may hypothetically have 500 parts that are hypothetically just halfway done, and maybe hypothetically the company is now asking for those extra parts, so hypothetically I may be one of three people in the entire company who are like, yeah, sure, I'll work on that again. Are you the only person at that company that actually finishes what you start? Maybe. (laughs) Every time you're like, yeah, someone fucked up. I have to fix it. That would explain why we have so few of those hypothetical things you're working on. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But yeah, like they had like a guy on second shift and then me last night working on those. And I may have gotten a little overzealous. Like, yeah, I can finish out this order. And then I like cut the last part at 830 in the morning. Damn. Yeah. (laughs) So you're pretty tired. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) And I also got to present this movie that deals with some very sensitive subjects. So that's going to be fun. Yeah, it's a great day for you. (laughs) Well, at least you're Um, the one who's seen it. So you could just take a nap during the movie. Yeah, that's that's (laughs) fair. Other than that, uh, before, because like that was last night. Uh, Throughout this week, I was working on another project. And uh, the fun thing about that is like, uh, remember, I'm pretty sure I told you guys on the podcast about another project that i was working on that like apparently the machine was all or acting up before they had me working on it and then it acted up while i was working on it so it, like just slammed the spindle down into the into one of the parts one day right it sounds familiar yeah like that happened to one of them uh this one it was running fine all night until i went to lunch and uh it's supposed to have a clip that like holds on to the tool whenever it's switching them out and this arm was going fast whenever it was doing it like i'll show you guys a video afterwards whenever you go back downstairs <laughs> Like, it would switch them fast. And apparently, right whenever I went to lunch, that clip decided to fail itself. So it was just, like, baseball throwing tools inside of my machine while I was not at my machine. So luckily, oh, like, one of the guys ne- next to my machine was able to shut it off while I was, like, sitting there eating ramen noodles. <laughs> I just, like, it's like one of those scenes in movies where, like, where he puts on headphones. He's just, like, chill. In the background, like, you see this horrible thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was, it was basically that. Everywhere. It was basically that because I came back, like, as I was coming back from lunch, like, one of the guys talked to me. And he or went up to me. He's like, hey, you're going to have to go talk to so-and-so since I probably shouldn't be naming people's names on this probably podcast. So Hypothetical. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hypothetically, Francis was telling me that I need to go talk to J- J- Joseph. <laughs> and he's like, hey, you're going to have to go talk to him. I was like, fuck what happened. And like walked over there and he's like, so yeah, like your machine is tossing tools. And it's like, what? And like, yeah, it's like literally throwing tools. And like, luckily, because like it's a metal enclosure with uh basically bulletproof glass on the inside of it like nothing was damaged on the inside of the machine and like weirdly enough not even the tools were damaged but it was just throwing tools around in the machine (laughs) instead of like cutting them down and then it was because it was missing a bolt in the arm to like you know help the clamp or clamping part of it sure how did that Uh, happen (laughs) I, i have no idea like the weird thing the weirdest thing about that is i told first shift about it and they're like oh yeah that's happened before with this machine it's not your fault (laughs) okay like Good. Why does nobody, oh, does, why does nobody so much tell better. anybody these things? <laughs> oh, good. It just means that the machine breaks more often than this. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad this is the status quo. But yeah, that's been my week. Just chaos at work, mostly. A normal Robbie week. I don't then. know yeah. how your company stays alive. <laughs> well, according to some articles I read today, I know how. 
Oh, okay. We'll talk about that off the air, though, because we can't talk about hypothetical things here. All that out of the way, Robbie. <laughs> uh, this movie, I take it away. Yeah. So, this movie's Brooklyn's Finest. Uh, this movie came out in 2010. Even though, like, you'll get mixed things saying this came out in 2009, uh, the actual date that this came out was May 3rd, no, March 3rd of 2010, if I remember correctly. Why the mixed up date? Did it have, like, a foreign release or Because, something? like, technically it started, uh, it started production in 2009 and then, like, went uh, off in 2010. But, like, got it. That's a whole big oh, thing. Because, like, cause, like I originally thought it was 2009, but then I, or I had to Google it to make sure and it was 2010 when it came out. Not an Edda and Eddie big picture show thing where there's, like, 20 early states <laughs> or like 1917 where like technically it was in new york in theaters so it counts for that year <laughs> maybe i didn't do that much research but like that's what i found out is like it, they're saying the premiere date of it was like march uh yeah march 3rd i believe gotcha. okay but yeah from what i remember yeah neither of you have seen this movie that was correct, correct. yeah <laughs> so i guess i should probably ask um I, i've talked about this movie with dry i'll ask e first e, okay what do you think this movie's about uh i believe it takes place in Brooklyn. Okay, good start. Good start. Uh, there's probably police in it because no move, nothing ever comes out of Brooklyn except police stuff. I don't know why. <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> maybe we can find out why. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> uh, there is a squad of police people, and they're like, "Hey, we're the police." And then there's a guy who's like, "Yo, fuck the police," and they beat him up. Drugs, probably, too. Fair. That's a fair assumption. <laughs> yeah, that, that's fair. That is very fair. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, there we go. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. Not bad? <laughs> uh, Drya, with, like, some of the limited stuff that I've been talking about, trying to hype this movie up for you, what do you think this movie's about? Um, from what you've told me, definitely a lot of crooked cop stuff going on. Definitely some drug stuff going on. Um, and the title of Brooklyn's Finest is quite ironic because it's like, like, it doesn't even take place in Brooklyn. Brooklyn's Finest is like the, like, that's how you talk about cops, but also like, they're not the finest. So yeah. I get it. Um, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, it, uh, I think I get the general idea of what this movie will be. Uh, dirty cops doing dirty cop stuff. And then one cop being not dirty and not doing dirty cop stuff. Or Dirty Cop being Dirty Cop, and then he's like, I don't want a dirty anymore. I want a clean. Uh, So he becomes a janitor. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That'd be wholesome. (laughs) That'd be wholesome in a very non-wholesome way. (laughs) Both of you, yeah, here and there, you guys got uh, a little bit of it. Yeah, I guess with that, I guess I'll just read the back of the box for you guys, which there's two different ones, but I guess I'll just read the actual back of the box, because... it's not too different from the other one that I like because there's a Rotten Tomatoes synopsis of it that's pretty good, but this one is, it, it's all it right. Works. Yeah, it works. <laughs> when NYPD's Operation Cleanup targets the notorious drug-ridden BK House Projects, three conflicted New York police officers find themselves swept away by the violence and corruption of Brooklyn's greedy 65th precinct. It's the most treacherous R, and it's most treacherous criminals. Each man finds himself spiraling towards the same fatal, R, fatal crime scene and shattering Shattering Collisions with Destiny. In this action-packed uh, drama directed by Antoine Fuqua. I don't know why they had to put the comma there. <laughs> Fuqua. Fuqua. But yeah, this movie is rated R. And he's going to love this. It's rated R for in the tiniest font ever. For bloody violence throughout, strong sexuality, nudity, drug content, and perverse language. 
I hate perverse language. Strong sexuality is a weird wording. It makes me almost think it means there's a gay character, but I don't know if that's true. I would say there's probably just like a whorehouse in it. Maybe. Or what, you know, colloquially will be termed as the whorehouse. Prostitution. I'm guessing there's prostitution a lot. Maybe. It does get into like the seedy underbellies of Brooklyn, so, you know, there's all that. Oh, yeah. Uh, This movie is also 132 minutes long, so it's like two hours and 10 minutes. Not bad. Not bad. Cool. I'm going in with this movie with an open mind, Robbie. Okay. I'm not, That's good I'm not coming in I, thinking like, it's a Robbie movie. <laughs> <laughs> Robbie I mean, you like some of my movies. <laughs> You're just never too ecstatic about my movies. That's what it is. That's fair. I, I will say, though, this movie was uh, kind of had like some mixed reviews. A lot of them is because uh, Antoine Fuqua uh, directed this movie, and they're like, <sighs> yeah, and they're like, this is a cop movie that isn't training day. How dare you? Oh. But, so there's that. I think one of my favorite ones that I saw, like, because whenever I was going through Rotten Tomatoes and like looking like like because this movie has a 45 percent on Rotten Tomatoes. It's like, how come it's so low? And I looked at the top comment and the top comment made me giggle a little bit. What gives this mo- or what gives this movie its extra stars? Ethan Hawke. There are plenty of guns blazing in this movie, but the real fire comes from his powerhouse performance. Three out of five. <laughs> it's like. It sounds great whenever you say it that way, but three out of five? <laughs> like, but yeah, I saw that and was like, like most of these that are giving it bad reviews, like they, it still sounds like it's a good movie. Like, and there's a, like at least a couple of reviews going like, I don't understand why everyone hates this movie. It's great kind of thing. So hmm. I feel like E's going to be that person. It's like, yeah, it's okay. But Maybe. like, I feel like from the reviews that I read, it's either people love it or hate it. Though so you do have the benefit of, I don't watch cop movies anyways. So yeah. I don't have any like <laughs> things true. to base it off. Yeah. Awesome. All right. I'm 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 a bit excited about this. I'm cautiously optimistic about it. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, uh, where can people watch it if they want to oh. watch it? So this one's a little bit of a weird one because uh, it's a stars company that, yeah, yeah. I see that look on his face. <laughs> it's a stars company that- uh, Nobody watches owns- <laughs> stars. Why do they keep making movies? <laughs> it's a stars own company that made this movie uh. back in 2010. But yeah, it's stars subscription, Filio- and it says free on Amazon Prime if you have Hulu, YouTube TV, or Sling TV. If you have with the subscriptions the there, subscription. <laughs> yeah. But I'm guessing all those have to do with the Star subscription too. Yeah. And then there's like the usual suspects. There's uh, YouTube, Google Play, and Vudu. Uh, Google Play and YouTube, it's supposed to be a dollar ninety nine, but Vudu, it's three ninety nine. I'm guessing that Vudu doesn't allow for an SD version rental. I'm guessing then. Uh, I, I had to look. I was gonna say like looking at um. Prime video though, because like there is like the start your star seven day free trial and watch this movie, or you can rent it for two ninety nine for the SD version, or it's seven ninety nine for the HD version. Oh wow, yeah, which is weird. That's a steep fever rental. Considering this movie is like once again kind of if- iffy, like this is a movie that not a lot of people talk about, but I think it's right. an enjoyable movie. I think I paid ten dollars for the Blu Ray. Yeah, that's completely reasonable. Actually. Yeah. All right. Well, all that being said, let's go watch this movie. All right. All right. Yeah. Be right back. back from watching brooklyn's finest take it away robbie so yeah um i guess i'll start off with a little fun fact one thing that i found interesting at least is uh michael c martin the guy who wrote this movie uh-huh. uh this is his first screenplay actually i think you could tell yeah but i think the funny thing about it being his very first screenplay is like i guess the backstory behind it is uh he was working as a tow booth operator whenever he wrote this movie <laughs> uh apparently he had like just gotten into a car accident not long before that and had a bunch of time on his hand, like had some time off work and uh, didn't have a car. And he's like, well, I need a new car. 
And so even though a movie? Better, better write a screenplay. Yeah, well, here's the thing is, uh, I guess there was a contest around that time, and like, oh. the winner, or whoever wrote the best screenplay, would win $10,000 for oh. said screenplay. And so he's like, you know what? Like, I got this extra time. Like, Might as well try to write a screenplay. I, I, and, I really just thought he was just like, ah, well, I got time. Might as well write a screenplay <laughs> and sell it. I mean, the thing is, is like the guy, I guess he actually did go to school for acting, and like he was going to do like a little short film before all that happened and like he never wrote a screenplay before like went to school for it or anything but he decided like screw it like you know like i need new car so i'm gonna try to write this screenplay and hopefully i win he got second place (laughs) (laughs) but he was able to get an agent and they fast-tracked this movie and i'm pretty sure he made way more than ten thousand dollars off of doing the screenplay made twelve (laughs) thousand apparently he made enough to get the car that he wanted to get so there's that and now works as a writer in hollywood for it nice but yeah uh this is his first screenplay, but he got a um, he got himself an agent, and they fast tracked the movie, and got you know Antoine Fuqua and a bunch of A listed actors to play in the very first movie that he ever wrote, and he said it was all like a very surreal experience, and I thought that was I bet like going yeah. for, like uh, maybe one day I'll write some indie movie, and then <laughs> get like a bunch of A lists yeah zero to six yeah that was that was zero to a hundred fast actually yeah, yeah that's how he lost his car coincidentally <laughs> <laughs> it's only funny because he's okay <laughs> yeah like the story he had like he wasn't injured or anything he just like had this extra time on his hands after not having a car yeah and then like i guess uh antoine or antoine he likes to mix it up in his movies like if you look at the films he's directed he's directed a bunch of different kinds of movies and after doing trading day he wasn't really interested in doing another cop movie but then he saw this and he was interested and felt like, okay, like maybe I should do this movie. And he got one, he got one of the actors from his other cop movie in it even. Yeah. <laughs> which there's like a little headcanon that I have for it, which probably is one reason why I like this movie more than I should. Cause I have like this weird connection between this movie and training day. A lot of headcanons in movies you like, Robbie. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's a chicken and egg situation. Does he make headcanons cause he likes the movie or does he like the movie cause he makes headcanons? No one ever knows. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I liked this movie before I had, had the headcanon, but, like, <laughs> the headcanon makes me like it a little bit more, I guess. Like, it is a thing, even with movies I like, even with, with movies I like, <laughs> <laughs> where, like, sometimes it is more, like, what you take out of it, and you can, like, kind of piece some stuff that maybe wasn't intentional, maybe it was, who knows? Yeah. yeah. I will say that's one thing that I do like about, uh, like, the fan theory communities. Like, you know, there's, all like, all those people who make their fan fictions, and it's usually, like, they want a romance character a and character b or whatever else yeah they yeah. want gay romances because no one else will give it to them yeah like <laughs> that's completely understandable too but i think like what i like about the fan theory community are people who come up with like these kind of far-fetched ideas that just kind of add to the existing storyline i like them when it's not literally just what if every character was actually just dead <laughs> and all of them are <laughs> the edited and eddie one <laughs> I, it's people say it's the edited eddie one. that that's literally all of them that's the fucking rugrats that's spongebob it's they literally all have that any cartoon people decide that's <laughs> the f- secret scary undertones of the show is that everyone's de- like with spongebob everybody's dead and this is actually squid squidward suicide yep. or pokemon and this is, it's all Ash coma, in dream. A coma. Yeah. cool so brooklyn's finest huh <laughs> yeah <laughs> <So> brooklyn's finest <laughs> <laughs> yeah i guess uh non-spoilery thoughts like I guess we'll go with Dry at first. What do you what do you think about the movie? Like I said, you could I feel like you could tell it was his first screenplay. The movie feels aimless, man. Like it just kinda does. There's no real point to following two of the three stories we follow in the movie. I I wouldn't might argue there's no point in following the third one either. Because it's the same moral thing in all of the stories. Like we really just needed one of these fleshed out. 
and I don't feel like any of them were really fleshed out, really, is, is kind of my biggest issue. I didn't dislike any of the characters, really. I can kind of empathize with one of them, with the, uh, the detective. Uh, not the detective. The undercover the, one? No, no, no. So we have a the dirty cop, an undercover wife. cop, and a cop who retires in seven days. Yeah. Um, the dirty cop. I feel like I can empathize with him because he's doing shitty things for a good reason. But the undercover cop is just kind of doing shitty things for a shitty reason. And the retire in seven days cop is just kind of nothing. He did shitty things for a shitty reason. When? Well, it's, that's just what they imply right. throughout the movie. Exactly. <laughs> they just keep saying, like, you were, you know, you're not the best example, but you're also still a cop, so people respect you for some reason. Yeah. Yes. That's kind of that's his dilemma. And then he does one good thing before he retires. But yeah, um, like, I don't dislike the movie in any way at all, but it did just kind of feel aimless to me. Yeah, we, we can get more into that, but considering the last movie I brought in, I, I will take it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It didn't go as dirty cop as I thought it was going to. Like, I thought it was going to be like, all right, dirty cop. Like, he like ha- he like has a prostitution ring, and, like, he's running a strip club illegally, and, like, oh, he's on, like, the government dime, though. Or, like, I thought it was going to be, like, real, real dirty cop. And, like, man, you want, like, bad lieutenant bad cop. <laughs> I don't also, 2010, I don't know if the world was that... I don't think the world was ready for this movie, but I definitely don't think the world would be ready for that. Yeah, there there are actually some things that this movie brings up that I think are and have been incredibly poignant for quite a while. Yeah, uh, I think it kind of shows, especially with the way last year went, that like these aren't new problems. Yeah, These are problems that have been around for a while, but it's just people are finally starting to bring it to the forefront and say, like, this is... We have to do something about this. Yeah. Right off the bat, this movie is like, hey, it's messed up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, actually, that is something I appreciate about this movie, is it never pretends like it is not going to be fucked up from right. like, the very first scene. You can see, like, everybody in this movie is going to be fucked up in some way. Mm-hmm. So that is actually nice. There's no, like, bait and switch. Yeah. <laughs> but, okay, uh, I guess I should also ask E, like, what do you think of this movie? Definitely agree it's aimless. I do think the movie's pretty good. Could be, again, this is, like, the first kind of cop-type movie. I've seen, so I don't like, uh, I mean, there's, um, Detroit. Yes. The, we, I mean, we know what movie we're talking about. Yeah. Here, so. <laughs> yeah. I have no idea what movie you're talking about. I think it's just, Detroit. it's kind of like this, except based off a real story. That okay. one's like a similar thing of like the police systems corrupt, but that one focusing specifically on a natural event that happened in Detroit. Yeah. It was during riots that were going on, which were quite popular at the time not popular <laughs> it's a little uh, it was a very well-known event um and this kind of concentrates on what happened in just one little household and it kind of has almost a horror movie vibe through some of it even just like with you feel like the cops are just kind of almost like serial killer like slasher movie villains huh. almost like yeah. it's a very weird feeling movie very good though very good yeah i wouldn't mind watching that also i would say i like that one more than this i guess out of the two cop movies i guess we've established <laughs> that i've seen but i think this was pretty good i think with a little more focus it would be very good yeah. but it's still pretty good yeah yeah like that that's kind of the problem is i feel like you have like an idea of the undercover cop of like he like he's undercover but he doesn't want to be undercover but he kind of wants to be undercover because he doesn't have like this other thing going on but he doesn't have like a here's my goal 
because he doesn't ever decide what his goal is. Yeah, I was going to say, like, without getting into full spoilers, like, uh, one thing they actually did say in the commentary and in the special features for this is that the movie at its core are just three different types of pressures that cops would face and the bad decisions that they would make based off of those pressures. So in a weird way with this movie, it is a little bit apologetic about, you know, some of the things that cops do of kind of like, you know, like, oh, you know, they're in this bad situation, they make these bad decisions, but, you know, it's kind of like, you know, what other decision are they going to make kind of thing? So, like, uh, Anton Fuqua, like, being friends with a lot of real-life cops is a little bit apologetic towards some of the actions that they make, but he he's also very aware that these are all bad decisions and that they have a responsibility, and by making these bad decisions, they're kind of tearing apart not only, you know, themselves, but their community and, like, the police division, everything else around them. And like, it's kind of one of those, like uh, it also doesn't shy away from the fact that systematic, systematic corruption is a big problem with the police de- or police department. Cause I, I will say like the movie does a good job of explaining why they do a lot of the actions they mm-hmm. do. Yeah. But not like to the point where you're like, okay, then it's fine. Like, yeah. You like still are. <laughs> right. Yeah. I was going to say <laughs> like, they're a little bit apologetic, but they're never justifying what they do. Yeah. Well, I've, the reason I say that is cause I, it's, seen a lot of propaganda for cops where it's like they like people are just apologetic like yeah like well what would you do in the situation you not cop that wasn't trained for that situation right yeah yeah Um, Yeah, like a lot of people who try to defend them uh, whenever they do bad things like that it's like oh yeah it's a thin blue line like are you willing to cross it kind of thing like i remember hearing that a couple of times for people mostly people who do like the blue lives matter it's not Thanks. a race. I hate that. So yeah, much. I know. It's not a race. Yeah. It's no, so I, I completely not... agree with it. It's dumb, but it's yeah. something that they say is like, are they call it the thin blue line, which is supposed to be, it kind of puts them on the same tier as like uh, soldiers in that way. So they kind of seem as like street soldiers. Cause like the thin red line was, uh, uh, was a caption that they use for soldiers fighting in war. And so like, they just made that with cops, the thin blue line, which is dumb. But... I mean, it, it tracks with how militarized our police has become. It, it, yeah, exactly. But not to get down that road yeah, too that's... much. We don't want to be too political on this political movie we just watched. <laughs> I mean, we're going to get I, into some of that for yeah. sure. But like I said, I do kind of like the fact, like, that's one reason why I agreed with you when you said, like, maybe it's not the climate right now to yeah. watch this movie. Yeah, because... you were suggesting this, like, yeah, like middle early... of last year. Yeah, I was. <laughs> but, like, I think it's because it was very prevalent in my mind of, like, everything that was going on in the real world whenever, I... and it made me think of this movie. Yeah, and like I said, the way part of the reason why it made me think of it is because, like I said, it's not exactly new with everything that's happened. This has been a problem for a long time. Yeah, I guess for some like disclosure, it's not like we didn't want to talk about that. We talked about it a lot. We, yeah, like, our, our yeah. closings was specifically about fight the good fight, yeah. right. folk. It's just sometimes you gotta wait a little bit. Like it's yeah. like it would have been a good time to watch probably RoboCop. I imagine either. <laughs> No, no. Yeah. Like, there's just some times when there are more important voices in the discussion, and I don't think we were going to add anything to that at the time. Yeah. yeah, and that is rather fair. I will say, like, we do support those causes, but Absolutely. it's... Yeah, but it's, you know, there are more important voices that could say or could say it a million times better than we could. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, well, Robbie hasn't said right, his yeah. thoughts. Yeah, um, what do you think, Robbie? <laughs> I mean, I I enjoyed this movie, but you guys know that I tend to enjoy some of the darker movies mm-hmm. out of the three of us. And uh, this is definitely this movie does definitely have some very dark tones. It has some very um, like the weight of the subject of it. Like even though you guys say it's aimless, like I said, it's mostly about the pressure that they would face, and like kind of deals with it in a realistic way. And so that's why it seems kind of aimless is because it just kind of like, even though like all these things happen, like it's still like, you know, it's just 
a continuing cycle with all of it. So just like even though their stories are done at the end of the movie, it's still something that's going to keep happening, whether it's a story or not. And this all takes place on the 65th precinct of Brooklyn. So this all I want to say like 80 to 90 percent of this movie takes place in like the same city block. Yeah, actually. Yeah. Um, But like when I say aimless, I just mean like the characters like clearly have something that's going on in their lives. But like. I feel like the script is kind of meandering from point to point. Yeah. And because it is trying to tell three separate stories and each story yeah. could be very much its own movie. For sure. Yeah, but, yeah. you know, you got to squeeze three full length movies into two hours, which is another like little fun fact that I found out is uh, I guess he actually shot this movie like he not so much in order, but like, you know, he did one character's role and then they were done in the next character's role and then they were done in the next character's role. And I think Richard Gears was the last one, actually. Mm. and like he actually shot the entire movie in 41 days on location because apparently production wanted to film it in detroit to be cheaper and he (laughs) had to fight to actually have it shot in brooklyn (laughs) how are you gonna fucking have a movie called brooklyn and try to shoot it in detroit i mean to be fair a lot of movies that take place in new york actually take place in toronto because it's cheaper to film there yeah, that's true. Listen, actually. I'm gonna say though, like, there's a difference between like, oh, this is supposed to take place in New York, and yo, this is New York the movie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but yeah, like, I feel like there are clear stories for all of these cops. Like, you have the undercover cop who, like I said, he wants to get out, but his life is kind of crashing around him, so he kind of doesn't know. Yeah, but like, he doesn't have like an A to B of what he's gonna be doing. And so you're just kind of, like, following along. You're like, okay, this is happening now. So, like, you never feel yeah. like you're in the loop on his story. You are, but like, it all happens very fast. Yeah. And, like, I will say this about the commentary. Like, I want to say most, like, there was some fun facts in the commentary, but a lot of it was him talking about, or the director talking about, like, the drives of the character and, like, why he did this for the certain lightings and why he wanted them to act a certain way during this scene. And, like, this is the internal struggle that they were hap- are happening and this is the subtext of it. Like, um, actually, religion and uh, reflections was a big subtext in this movie, but you guys probably did catch on some of that, how, like, there was, like, crucifixes and, like, pictures of Jesus in the background and everything. Also, and, like, one of the cops was just straight up Catholic. Yeah. Yeah. And he, yeah. That's, that's his character for, like, the first 10 minutes of you see him. He's, like, like, in confession, and then he's, like, pulling down all the crosses, and then he's like, I want God to help me. God, yeah. where are you, God? Yeah. I, also, one of my favorite, like, an unintentional thing that just was hilarious to me like he's all he wears this like cat cross necklace the entire time and one time he's like pulling out stuff in his pocket he pulls out another cross necklace yeah (laughs) (laughs) like why do you have that because he's catholic (laughs) (laughs) but no like that was that was definitely so he could pull out the kiss like later backup cross necklace (laughs) so yeah that was a whole subtext of that which i guess going more into spoilers i'll explain what that whole thing was um but yeah like honestly i enjoyed the movie and I, i think the little headcanon like because i kind of see this as like a weird unofficial sequel to training day i could see it yeah but i think that's once again my little headcanons because like i said i have headcan like the fact that i didn't write fan fiction for tumblr whenever i was younger is kind of amazing probably it's because i just never was on tumblr i don't think <laughs> tumblr was around when you were young it was it was was it yeah but yeah like honestly like, all in all like it, it is a dark storyline and like i said it it, it is kind of hard to follow with some of it because it, all of it happens very very fast because you are telling three full-length stories in a matter of two hours, and you got to hurry along to, to, like, tell these full-length stories. So I get that, but, like, all in all, I think I do, like, for what the movie is, I rather do enjoy it, and I feel like it's one of those things because it's dealing with the subject matter that is still prevalent today. Like, I think it 
kind of adds to you know the fact that this is it's gritty and dark but it's um relatable and realistic in the message that's telling yeah i would say for the most part i think we'll do a quick non-spoiler synopsis of it you you follow three different cops one like i said a week from retirement one who's undercover and it seems has been undercover for a very long time at this point and then another cop who is just coming to the terms of being a dirty cop yeah he's just started to be real dirty because he's trying to get his family out of this awful house right and uh Speaking of which, like the movie actually starts out with um the dirty cop played by Ethan Hawke. Yeah, and... I was that scene was very confusing for a while. <laughs> yeah, well the thing is is like when you first see him, they purposely make it seem like you don't know who he is. He's just talking to a guy in a car yeah. about uh what's right and what's wrong and what's righter and wronger. I'm guessing he, he doesn't say what he is, he just says he's a bad guy that he kills for money in that car, which I guess was kind of showing like that was like the start of his downward spiral was whenever he killed that man. Yeah, which I was actually very confused about this scene because it looked like the bullet came from outside of the yeah, car. Yeah, I was like, yeah. so I, thought I thought somebody else. killed him. Yeah, well, so, my thing was his reaction immediately after too. Definitely did not look like someone who just shot a man. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, it kind of does, but it's kind of like almost. I can't believe I just did that kind of look. Like with hindsight, I can see it, but like in the moment, I was like, "What the hell?" And yeah. then he just took the money. I was like, "What?" Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it, it all like I think it's meant to be confusing in that way. Of just kind of like. It's all happening and you don't know how or why kind of thing. And, like, you don't even know he's a cop until probably, like, 30 minutes later. Like, because he does that and then he goes to confession and says that he did a bad thing. He doesn't tell the priest that he murdered someone, but he says, like, I did no, a bad you thing. You to, don't tell the priest But it was to a bad person. Like, <laughs> yeah. He's like, I did a very bad thing. But it was to a very bad person. So I feel like I should be justified in the way that I are for what I did kind mm-hmm. of thing. And, and he's like, Mary Full Grace, Mary Full Grace. All right, we're yeah. good. Yeah, and he he's just trying to wash his hands of it, like saying, like, how about I just like say a couple ha- hail marys and we just say I'm good, right, right, right. Like we're we're fine, right? We're oh, fine. Yeah, yeah. That <laughs> kind of hail mary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What'd you think? I thought he meant like he was going the whole yard, like he's going oh, all like the way. Thing? Like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just more like it's not like I didn't grow up in a Christian household. It's more I grew up in a super football household, I think. Yeah, than yeah. That, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> but there's that. And, like, it's not even until after those two scenes that you realize that he's a cop whenever he walks into the precinct. And, like, he's like, oh, like, uh, did you hear about what happened to so-and-so? Like, yeah, that's that, that's crazy. Do you have any suspects on that? Like, oh, just, you Everyone, know, I was wondering. Yeah. I think was yeah. what he said. <laughs> yeah, he's like, that guy was a scumbag. Like, everybody's a suspect. I can't remember. Was that the bald friend? That he was talking to in that scene, or was that yeah, the that other was, cop? No, that was his. That was basically like his best friend at, at the yeah. precinct. I can't keep tra- like I'm not g- gonna lie. I got really confused with the old cop and thought that was the guy the undercover cop kept talking to for a while there. They look so different. I, I figured out after the first scene, but one like, has what? hair and the other doesn't. <laughs> what if he's undercover? I don't know. <laughs> They're both old white men. Fair enough. <laughs> I fixed that later. But yeah, so there's that opening scene, and then you just follow the un- the guy who is dirty, and his story is he's literally just trying to do tons and tons and tons of busts that are super dangerous because he's just trying to steal enough money to be able to buy a house. Yeah, and it is kind of one of those he's justifying doing very bad things, but for a good reason. Yeah. Because yeah. his wife is pregnant with twins. Yeah, he, he already has five-ish children. He has four. Fli- no, he has the. No, he has five. No, he has the two boys. Yeah, the, the little, little girl, girl and the older girl. 
Was the other person not his daughter? No, no, no that, that was a that friend. Was a friend. Yeah, and was... then he was about to have twins, though. Yeah, yeah but like so... that's because like during that scene, what happened is like she's like, "Hey, I'm like you know her his oldest was like, "Hey, I'm going out with my friend." He's like, "Dressed like that, you're not going to like you know that very stereotypical like you ain't yeah. going out dressed like a whore kind of conversation." Don't let people think we're only daughter. Catholic on Sundays. Um, but yeah, like his friend starts, uh, one of his friends starts making racist comments about uh, his yeah his daughter's friend yes. which is why like it's not the reason why he punches him but he makes like that he makes it seem like that's the reason why i still feel like it's a major reason why he punched i think him. that that's most of the reason why i, I think i think it's everyone twofold. was ready to punch him anyways yeah. but... right like it was a twofold thing like he it, it started was... bringing up uh justifications of doing something dirty or taking like dirty drug money or something like that yeah and then he's like the cop that we're following starts going into saying, like, well, I mean, you can't you can't know what's justifiable or what's not justifiable. Like, you don't know their situations in their life, so you can't say whether they're doing this or not is good or not. And then he also puts on the whole thing of, like, you know, a cop's starting salary is $20,000 a year, which is nothing. Yeah. And um, how they're doing all these drug busts and all these raids, and it's not going to the rehab clinics. It's not going to, you know, it's not jails it's, it's not going to jails like they're not getting raises off of these busts that they're doing it's usually going to these higher ups to you know make their offices look better and stuff like that so it's like one of those like they risk their lives every single day and they're still poor yeah while yeah. the rich get richer off of their capitalism yeah, yeah. so yeah basically, <laughs> basically so like he's trying to justify his actions by saying like you know like uh, like you know i i'm a clean cop for so for x amount of years and i get have nothing to show for it yeah and that, yeah. and that's kind of what starts him being on the edge in this situation and then his kid comes down, and the other cop starts talking, saying a bunch of really awful racist stuff. Yeah, yeah. And um, then, like, uh, even like his best friend, the bald one, he even says, "Like, dude, my wife's black. Like, don't talk like that." Yeah. Um. He's like, "Yeah, I know she's black." And I'm not gonna repeat what he said because honestly, it's awful. But that leads to Ethan Hawke, the cop that we've been following, to punch the other guy in the face. Yeah. But part of that too was like because the director was talking about it, and he was saying like. He was like, and he's saying like, uh, that the racist was, or he used the racism as an excuse to punch him. But part of the reason why he punched him is because of just the way that he looked at him in general, and the fact that like he can't win at anything because like he's, uh, that guy's, uh, he's losing at everything, including that game in particular. Where he just like lost a bunch of money to that guy because the guy who gets punched is also the guy who won that hand. So it's like kind of him having a breaking point, if you will. See, here's the thing. I'm, <laughs> I really don't like the directors or writers having to justify what's happening in the scene behind the scenes like that doesn't that's if it's if you can't put it in the movie it's not in the movie like it doesn't count also i'm gonna say <laughs> punching a guy because he's racist is completely fine that's yeah a, that's I, a completely no, no, justifiable no, no. reason yeah no, completely i completely fine. agree it kind of shows that he's on edge because like afterwards like after he does punch him he starts talking about how uh she's expecting twins yeah. and if he can't find a way to like raise more money to get a bigger house then he's gonna have to pick one he's gonna have to make a sophie's choice and pick one of his kids to live with his sister it's like how can i uh, how can i ask one of my kids to live with my sister right but here's another thing which i think is bullshit of why he said because he said he doesn't have enough space yeah fucking take the poker table out get rid of those curtains in the back just make this basement and have bunk beds like there you go like you just made enough room yeah. like it's the reason he uses of he doesn't have enough space so he needs another house. Like he could just say like this house is like old and nasty and my wife is sick from it. Yeah. Like it comes up later. Like he could have just no, said that. No, it came that. up before actually. Yeah, yeah. Like you don't need to like make the excuse of like, I don't know. I think no. this is one of those things to where like you can tell it, like this is a first draft, not a first draft script, but like a first writer's script right. because he's trying to over justify a character's actions when you could just say like, here's the action. Like here's the bad thing that's happening to this character everything stems from that like he's yeah. overcomplicating the character's yeah. reasons to do things 
I mean, I think that's kind of his character anyways, is to be overcomplicated, because a lot of what causes him to do most of these things is pride to begin with, because even his wife, like, even though she's getting sick off of the wood mold and stuff like that, she keeps on telling him, like, we don't need this house, like, you don't have to do this for us, and, like, even his best friend is telling him, like, count the blessings that you have now, like, even though, like, I know that this is not the best situation in the world, but you need to look at the good yeah. of all this anyway. Well, like, right, his but- friend is kind of... A, it's like a tiny tiny subplot that his friend can't have children yeah yeah so he sees his friend with like six potential children so it's basically a man drowning complaining to a man dying of thirst yes kind of yeah <laughs> yeah but like yeah it it does kind of like you know it gets a little convoluted with that storyline but yeah I don't know, it just seems kind of weird. if i guess it's it kind of shows that they're not like super super tight friends because, like, yeah. they do kind of butt heads a lot. But, yeah, like, that's just one of those things of, like, it's a very simple thing of, like, hey, house has mold, need to get a new house, do whatever I have to do to get a new house, because his wife is literally dying from all this mold. Yeah. Like, that can be your entire thrust for a character to do something. Like, he doesn't need seven million things. Right. It's just an but overcomplication of a character. He, and he, they are making it overcomplicated, but, like, at the base of it, there's, it's mostly because he's too prideful to ask for help. That's you where can, a you, lot of it... Right, but you can say that. But you can still have just the one thing. Like, right. it's just, it's literally a writing problem I have with this, is he's overcomplicating his character, and you don't have enough screen time to make a complicated character. Like, none of the characters have enough screen time to be complicated. There's right. no, you can't, there's not enough time for subtlety. There's literally just not. Yeah. You get one 45-minute episode out of each character, basically. Like, you don't have enough time to put four hours of story into each one. Yeah. But I guess also with that one, too, also speaking of complicated stories, like, there's also the undercover cop. Yeah. And like with that one, like with him, he's undercover, um, basically hanging out with all these gangsters that uh they even say like really quickly that like, you know, they're uh that they're dealing cocaine out and stuff. <laughs> I mean they also just show that. Yeah, they just well, they show also, it yeah. a ton. <laughs> yeah. Um But with that one, they also kind of like say that he's like one of the bigger shot callers there and like he's basically friends with one of the kingpins, which I guess um the director really, really wanted Don Cheatley and Wesley Snipes to play those two characters. And Don Cheadle? Cheadle, thank you. <laughs> Don Cheeto. <laughs> so Dan Cheeto. <laughs> um, he really wanted those two to play th- that part, and he said that he really liked the way that those two, or that Wesley, Snipe, or Wesley and Don worked off of each other, yeah. that movie. I yeah, guess I another little fun fact about this, this is actually the last movie that uh, Wesley Snipes made before going to prison. Yeah, he went to prison for tax evasion. Oh. Yeah, tax fraud. Okay, that's yeah. way, he just didn't that's pay way better. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> like, he didn't pay his taxes, and, like, there's actually, like, this whole big thing about that of, like, how there's, uh, there's a really good chance, because, like, he didn't do a lot of time for tax evasion, because it was a lot of money that, like, God, I think it was... Yeah, it was like two hundred thousand dollars or something like that in back taxes that he owed, and he did like two like two years on good behavior or something like that. And they're like, "That's a, a very small amount of money." He's like, "Yeah, like I'm pretty sure that they were just using me as an example because like that's kind of what the IRS does is they use people as examples to try to uh, scare people into paying their taxes." But that's neither here or there. The IRS uh, yeah. doesn't have the money to go after big people. Though. Yeah, <laughs> and that's kind of what it is. Is like like I said, we don't have time to go into it. Yeah, but yeah it's, it, they tend to uh, target poor people. Yeah, but. That's neither here or there. That's a but, whole different subject for a whole different day. So yeah. with this undercover cop, what I'm gonna I'm gonna say all right, it could just be my monkey brain. I couldn't I couldn't fall. Like for a long time, I thought it wasn't. I didn't realize he was an undercover cop. I thought he was like in the whatever and like snitching to kind of get out, you know, witness protection program type stuff. I think so, that that's what it leads you to believe at first. But 
for me at least, once he was done with that first conversation with the cop in the diner, I feel like I, I had that plot point down. Because, like, how he, he ends his first conversation is, like, them getting stopped by cops, and, like, he didn't want to intervene and have a talk with these cops. He just kind of wanted to let it happen, and that's where he's at, and that's why he needs out. So a lot of that actually has to go off of, like, that, um, there was a deleted scene for it, too, of whenever he got pulled over by that cop, and how, like, that whole scene is, like, filled with racial profiling and him yeah. trying to do the right yeah. thing and, like, trying not to get this cop killed, but then, like, him talking to his handler afterwards saying like, you know, uh, where he says like, we should just dead those motherfuckers right there. Odds are two to one, but fuck it. I'm good with that. Yeah. Like, like saying like, I'm fucking the head. Like I, I'm starting to think like them and thing. But like, honestly, if you were to see the departed, you would basically get the whole idea of like what's happening with this guy in this movie. And the departed does it better, but the departed also is a two and a half hour long movie. And this movie has 45 minutes to do basically the same storyline. Yeah. Well, but it is the same storyline. Like there is like the subtlety of like, like whenever he started in the department, he started out basically in a prison. So he started undercover kind of thing of like, you know, they don't know that he's a cop. So he goes to pr- prison because cops don't go to prison and then meets with the gangs. And then like once he gets out of prison, he starts gang banging with them and but working undercover and all that other stuff. But different meaning. Different kind of gang banging. But yeah. yeah, like uh, like I said, uh, The Departed does it better than this movie does. But once again, The Departed has two and a half hours to tell that story compared yeah. to this has 45 minutes. But yeah. they do a, a decent enough job with it. But like there's a lot of like subtext to that storyline yeah. that like if they had just his storyline, they could have flushed it out a lot better and it could have been a lot better for his character. Yeah, yeah, that's ultimately my problem with this entire movie is that the actors and the characters have potential of being strong enough to carry their own movie. Yeah. And it's almost a shame that he stuffed these three stories into the one script because I think any one of them could have stood on their own. Yeah, and I think part like said part of what it was is uh like said so the guy who wrote the movies I th- I think he wrote the sc- wrote the screenplay to be like a short. Right. And then they needed enough to make a whole movie so he just started adding on to it and like I guess he was actually doing rewrites while they were still filming the movie too. Uh-oh. And, like, so it's just one of those, like, they had subject to work off of, but they needed more. Yeah, yeah. And so I think he probably just wrote extra short stories. Uh, There was, like, one of the guys said that they weren't, or in the special feature says that they weren't sure, but they think that he might have had a roommate who was an undercover cop at one point in time, and that's where he got the idea for the script. (laughs) So, like, I have a feeling, um, I'm probably going to say his name wrong again, Don Cheadle's character was probably, like, the main focus for the original script, and then he had to add on to it, so he just added on some stories about corruption in the system with that. And uh, the other two got added onto it, which like I said, all in all, I think all their stories are really good, but I do agree with you that like all of them could have been flushed out a lot more, but that would have made for like a four hour long movie. Right. Yeah. So something, since we're talking about the undercover cop and kind of like the start, something I do kind of like about this movie is it does show a lot of like this subtler racism in the yeah. police system. Yeah. Without being so like upfront to the point where like people will get mad at it. Yeah. Cause like it does it all the time. Like the big thing at the start of the movie is there's a ton of police around and a bunch of people screaming because the police just shot this kid. Yeah. And that's actually kind of where the, I want to say like, that's the one thing that kind of puts these three or puts these three characters together. 
or kind of binds them together because like you see these characters like they meet each other on the street because like i said all this takes place on basically the same city block yeah, yeah. and so like they kind of bump into each other but none of these characters or none of these three characters know each other in fact i don't even think they see each other at the end of the movie even no. like they're in the same area but yeah like, they're like all literally at the same building basically yeah and they don't see each other yeah but like it's all happening in the same area kind of thing but it's like they see each other every day but don't even realize it that all these different stories are going on and that's kind of what it was trying to be subtle about is like all like these are just three stories out of you know i want to say like 15 million or 17 million or however oh, yeah. many people live in brooklyn well, I had a point here. <laughs> well, I guess I'll continue with it. Because, like, I like that. Because that goes into the undercover cops, like, first thing where they're kind of, like, talking about, like, the fl- the police guy was yeah, uh, robbing him. Yeah, it it was uh, a police officer was trying to rob a high school student, and it happened to be, like, an honor- honors grad thing. So they couldn't even, like, try to make it seem like, oh, like, he was doing something bad because, like, yeah. this kid had never done anything bad. It's, uh... So they, they had to uncover some dirt, and I, I guess I like that because it's so real realistic to life like anytime shit like that happens there's a bunch of people like yeah but you know he got in a fight in high school (laughs) yeah (laughs) he was mean to a lunch lady once so he was a dead bad kid anyway yeah like it justifies that without like and so like that's kind of i think well i'm pretty sure this movie means it's like that's some of why the undercover cop does want out because he notices this trend of like sending black people to prison or to death basically yeah. yeah and that's actually the thing is like the guy who is uh wesley snipes character kaz is basically his best friend and since he's a high profile criminal they want him as a high profile arrest so that way they can like say like oh here's something good that the department did despite the fact this one cop did this bad thing yeah and that's kind of one of the things like it doesn't really dive into that too much it's very quick of like that's why they want him to uh that's why they want him to frame this guy even though like this guy is basically his best friend and they even another little subtext they put in there well i guess not even subtext but they say (laughs) is like there's a guy who tried killing him while he was undercover in prison and kaz saved him yeah and that's when that's how they became best friends and that's why you know they're so close to each other and like kaz is saying whenever he was in the joint like nobody did anything for him but he actually got him a lawyer to get him acquitted so he can actually get out of prison for a while and try to get out of the lifestyle and he was trying to save this guy and they're trying to put him back in prison so i like that and then that ties into the uh old the retiring cops thing where he has these dumb trainees all the time yeah and that's i shouldn't call him dumb that's a little rude but to be fair they kind of play him off as dumb. i yeah. should say yeah. yeah that's a that's a nicer way of saying yeah. it <laughs> like I think my thing dumb implies like intelligence where right? i don't think it's intelligence i think it's like too much eagerness and too much inexperience because like yeah the first one i don't his story doesn't go anywhere he just well is kind of the that's actually one of the things that i like the most about it is the old man cop richard gear mm-hmm. uh, his character i like the story that they have going on with there because he's like right what, he's real close to retirement so they're just like sticking him with new people to train real quick before he gets out of there mm-hmm. even though he's, he keeps telling people he doesn't want to do it and so i think we're gonna get into spoilers pretty big and after this yeah, yeah I, think I feel we like kind we of are getting, getting spoiler territories at this point for sure right now if you want to watch the movie go watch it yeah we were all pretty so far we've talked positive. about maybe yeah so far we talked about maybe like the first 30 minutes of the movie so yeah, far so like for sure spoilers from this point of course yeah um so the two cops that you see richard gears character training is the first one uh and why i like it because it's like the two stereotypes you think of when, or at least i think of when i think of cops is like the cop that's like ex-marine like militarized mm. already and like he was like gung-ho wants to get in there fuck people up yeah and like make a bunch of arrests and stuff like that and really get this thing going yeah 
and he's like over ambitious and he doesn't know what he's doing and he just wants to take action without having anything uh without any kind of training or any knowledge or anything like that mm-hmm. and he ends up leaving being trained by Richard Gere because Richard Gere doesn't want to do anything. Yeah. Um, which we learned gets him killed because he goes in to try and save somebody without having the knowledge of how to do it. And he gets himself killed. Right. And I think part of the subtext, cause like once again, this is 2010. So this is, we were still in the war in Iraq at that point, if I remember correctly. I mean, we we're arguably still in it. Not officially, but like we were like very much like yeah, yeah, in yeah, the yeah. forefront of it. Like this is still, I think when we were spending like 10, 000, or 10 trillion dollars a day in the air in, and in, into the war effort. But, like, um, it, it does do, like, the whole gung-ho thing. I think what they're trying to show with, like, the subtext of that one, though, is, like, he survived, you know, three tours in Iraq, but then died a couple weeks in Brooklyn kind of thing. Yeah. So it's, like, a different kind of war zone for him. But then also it does show, like, once again, another one of the subtexts, which you don't really see unless you're paying attention to it, is uh, Richard Gere's character whenever he's at that whorehouse. Mm-hmm. Uh, whenever he's seen with the shirt off, he actually has a Marine tattoo, like, right here on his chest. Yep. So he was also a Marine that turned into a cop. And so he kind of sees a little bit of himself into, in that kid. But he sees that kid, once again, as being a little bit too gung-ho yeah. right. over everything. And then I like the second cop that they do um, stick him with because he's not, like, gung-ho about it. He's just like, it's a job. And, like, you just you come to work every day. You do your job. And you then at pension. the end, you get a nice pension. You get to retire and have a good life. And he's like, and then Richard, Gere, Richard Gere's character asks him, like, okay, but, like, what does that job look like? What does that day-to-day look like? He's like... I don't know, doing the job, he's like, yeah, exactly, get in the car, you have no idea what you're doing. Yeah. Right. Um, Because, like, I think that's two mindsets that you often find in police, is, like, the guy who's just a horrible asshole, who's too gung-ho, and always wants to get everything done all the time, no matter what, and the other guy who's like, eh, it's just a nine-to-five, and I'm done. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, some of why I wanted to talk about that second guy, because I do think that relates pretty well back into the underlying racism. Yes, yes. What that guy does is... Richard Gere's on a call about in, uh, what are those called? The pit stop type areas, whatever those are called. Bodega? Yeah. <laughs> um, because the manager, I guess, called because he said someone was robbing him. Yeah. And when the, he gets there, there's just this kind of, this black kid. He's like a, I think he's a kid, right? Yeah, yeah. he's like 14, 15, yeah. Yeah, so like he's just saying like, I didn't do nothing, man. And the store owner's like, yeah. Like going crazy, like super. Like, I know you stole. You put that candy bar in your pocket. I know you stole it. Right. Um, Meanwhile, the kid's still in the store. Yeah, yeah. He's like yelling it at the kid's face. Yeah. Yeah. So, so basically, it's like they're dealing less with uh, the theft of candy because, like, he's uh, the store owner straight up says, "Like, I saw him stealing candy," and like Richard Gere character gets kind of pissed off. Like, really, this is over candy? Yeah. Like this whole thing's over a fucking fifty cent candy bar. Yeah. Especially considering, like, uh, if you see at the beginning of that conflict, like. That store owner is getting ready to hit that kid with a hammer. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, well, like, so, like, it goes there, and Richard Gere's, like, really apprehensive about leaving the new guy, because yes. he needs to take the kid's ID to see if there's any, you know, like, charges mm-hmm. that he's gone through. And he's like, no, no, why don't you go get the thing? And the new guy's like, what, you don't trust me? And Richard Gere's like, all right. And so when he, I'm going to give so, you his chance. I'm going to go out and do that yeah. thing. Yeah. Because he asks him to go, like, run the ID of the kid. Yeah. And he's just and like the guy's like, no, no, I got this. Don't don't embarrass me. I got this. And when he leaves, the new guy is way too. He gets kind of gung ho too, mm-hmm. and like starts pushing the kid on the ground because the kid's like still apprehensive because he's like, I didn't even do nothing. And he pushes him on the ground and he tries to fire warning shots and he causes the kid to go deaf. Yeah, yeah. 
which I think with that one, it was it was an accidental fire. But I think it's because he was once again being too gung ho and holding a gun to the kid's head while telling him to calm down. Right. But again, which, this was over. This was potentially cent. over candy. Yeah. yeah which we and also we sh- learned the kid also didn't steal. Yeah. Right. Um, he had like what was it like? He had he one had four, ounce of marijuana. He had on one him. ounce of yeah. marijuana and four hundred dollars. Yeah. And that's another thing that the kid says, like, why would I steal a candy bar? I have four hundred dollars in my pocket right here. Why would I need to steal a candy bar? Right. And then. Like in going back to the corruption, when they take Richard Greer back, the reason the how he learned he has one ounce of marijuana is because that's what they're telling him. Like, are you sure the newbie didn't see this kid who has potential theft going like crazy, like trying to? Well, they're trying to make fabricate the, a story. Yeah, they're trying to fabricate a story about how this is over drugs because yeah. this is a potential. Um, this is a kid who had an ounce of marijuana on yeah, him. And, well, so this is a kid who had paraphernalia. Like, we need to make this about drugs to make us look better. Which, in anyone who knows anything about drugs, one ounce of marijuana ain't <laughs> nothing. That's nothing. Maybe we can spin this as he found out that he was a drug dealer and, like, things got heated and he accidentally fired off a warning shot near his head. Like, we have to make this about, we have to make ourselves look better than yeah. what the actual situation is. Because they are still which is, reeling from the last thing, which was two days ago, I think, at this point. Which, yeah. once again, goes very much into how corrupt the system is yeah yeah and you start to see like protests and stuff around the city like that uh protesting that the um the one honor student was shot mm-hmm. in cold blood and so like he's under inve- he's like in the investigation you see like everybody high up in the precinct like talking to him and, like all the suits um basically like doing a check to see if it was uh a good shooting basically yeah. a justifiable one if justifiable you will. yeah and it's like I mean, he didn't steal the candy bar, but he had the weed, and he had yeah. $400, so maybe we can spin this as he's a drug dealer. Right. And Richard Gearcare's like, the kid shouldn't you. have been there. He shouldn't have been there. Yeah. The and so the other is. guy, like, makes them turn off the tape that's recording everything, one of the business guys, and he like, goes over, he's like, listen, we need a good cop with a great background to be able to come in here and say that what happened here was correct, that this guy was trying to sell drugs, and that... The rookie saw him, and he was trying to stop it, and that, and things got, maybe got a little too heated, but he did his job correctly. We need that to happen. You're not the best cop we have, but you're good enough. So what do you say? And Shakir just looks at me, fuck you. The kid shouldn't have been there. And he's like, maybe I should remind you that I can write you up for all of this and charge you with a bunch of things. And the lawyer behind him is like, he retires in three days, just want to remind you. And so, like, nothing happens. And then Richard Gear walks out of there, and he goes to the rookie, and he's like, hey, you got this. You're going to be fine. You got this. Like, trying to talk trying to, him up. Yeah, trying he... to make it seem better than what it really is. Yeah. Because, um, he know, like, that's the thing. Like, the character that Richard Gear plays, he knows that mistakes were made, and he knows that he shouldn't have left the rookie there, and he knows the rookie didn't do it on purpose. He wasn't trained. He was new. He, like, wasn't ready for any kind of conflict at all, very clearly. But and he also knows that this is going to be the end of that kid's career. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. like one of my favorite parts of that movie because there's a character doing something good for once, yeah. I yeah. guess. It's very rare you see a character doing something good. It kind of, it. I feel like this movie does do a good job of showing how like systematically like they kind of, it's yes. a diseased system yeah. where they're sp- like they spin it in a way to where they can justify them doing bad things like that. Like yeah. this movie is kind of the epitome of all cops are bastards. Yeah. Because it's not saying every single cop is a terrible person. It's saying the system is so corrupt that even good cops can't get far, basically. And it does. It shows how it's a very diseased, corrupt system, and it could, especially someone like Richard Gere's character, could kind of, like, rot a person away, especially, like, when that's all they really have. Because that's another way that they actually spin Richard Gere's character is, like, 
that's pretty much all he has is the fact that he's been a cop for tw- the past 22 years. Yeah. yeah. And well, and it, he has that in the hooker that he goes and sees every, every or every so often. Yeah. Like, and the thing with his character, though, like, it talks about his character wasn't a good person all the time. No, he wasn't no. a good person. Like, he doesn't have anybody that loves him or is around. Like, he's an alcoholic. He actively tries not to get involved in stopping crime because that's not what he's most interested in. Um, He's not a good person. Right. Uh, they more or le- I want to say that they paint him as someone who's kind of just drifting through yeah yeah well like he's and drifting through like what he's doing like you know his uh his job because like even before that there's a scene wherever like uh that first rookie cop that he has the one who's very gung-ho sees a man abusing his wife in the middle of the street and he's you know, he's getting ready to like take this guy in like you know we're gonna you know take this guy for beating his wife out in the middle of the street which he is very justifiable in doing that and they could have done something about that but because he didn't want to get involved, he said, like, you know, like, what are you doing? Like, this isn't 65th Precinct. This is 64. Like, you know, we're one block away from where we're supposed to be. Let someone else deal with it. We're going to go do our thing kind of yeah. thing. And, like, there's no reason why he couldn't have done something about it, but he just didn't want to get involved. And that's most of what his character is. It's like, I don't want to get involved. I just want to get past this week. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, like, that's that's kind of what I'm going back to my original point of, like, it being meandering is, like, Literally, Richard Gray's character is just get past the week. So you just see him living out his week. Yeah. And then the undercover cop is him trying to decide if he still wants to stay undercover or if he wants to go back to his old life, which doesn't really exist anymore because his wife is leaving him. He doesn't really have a house to go back to. He doesn't have anything. Yeah. So like he he's li- he doesn't have any real life. He doesn't have any... Like, the only thing that he has is this person that saved him in prison, who he thinks is his friend now. Yeah. Or the closest thing he could call yeah. a friend. And Yeah, that's yeah. the thing is the closest thing he has to a friend... If he wants to even get a chance at his old life back, he needs to basically screw over the only person he could call a friend. Yeah. Or, you know, keep living this life that's getting him all fucked up in the head. Yeah. And so, like, through most of the movie, you, the undercover guy, you don't really see him do anything. No. You kind of see his external or his internal battle externally about what he wants to be doing. But there's never like a here's my goal type of thing. And then with the dirty I mean, cop, like, his whole goal is just. Do raids find money? Yeah. So like yeah. you just feel like you're seeing this these cops' well, lives for a week. I'm gonna say with the undercover cop, I don't think it's really important what he does. I think his character is what he won't do. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And like, it's one of those like even though he's trying to make himself seem like he's this gangbanger, he's also you know at his core not a bad person. Yeah, because like, not that kind of gangbanging. I've never heard it in this way. <laughs> but like yeah, because like. It's there's like little things like uh they're on the top trying to uncover a snitch on a roof and they're like beating him up and the two guys beating up the snitch see the uh tango is his what he's called in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. And they're uh they're like, Man, fucking Tango, you don't do shit. You don't ever hit you don't ever kill anyone. You don't do shit. Cause he's like, nah, this ain't a snitch. Yeah, yeah. So like it's one of the like it's it's implied that he doesn't actually ever kill anyone because he's a cop, obviously. But right. yeah, he tries not to ever kill anyone, and it's he won't he won't give up his position. He won't stop striving to get out of this situation. It's like a lot of what he won't do. So that's why I see the movie is like that's why it's so the big thing for him is that he decided to um try to get out of this situation because one of the things that it kind of sets up is he won't rat out his friend right 
But the only way out of the situation is if he does right his friend. And that's why, like, his thing is like, no, fuck that. I'm out of this. I don't want to do this shit. I can stay in the, I'll stay in the fucking streets because that's the only family I have at this point. Right. Yeah. yeah. So like, also with like that rooftop scene, uh, I guess a lot of what they're trying to say with that one too is it's not even whether that kid was a snitch or not. It's kind of like they're tr- trying to see with Kaz, you know, the guy who was the kingpin whether he's still tough or not kind of thing because it didn't matter if that kid was a snitch or not they needed to know if he had the if he had the gall to actually kill this kid or not and by not doing it it showed that he was soft because one thing that they say later on in the movie too with is like like come on he's soft as baby shit yeah which like one of the things that i feel like maybe i'm supposed to be putting this together maybe i'm not is that tango don Cheadle, he is the snitch pretty clearly right yeah yeah, he is so like the one thing that i do really like this movie does is between the don Cheadle's character and um dirty cop what's oh um sal sal yeah sal Sal. um and how like don Cheadle's character like goes and tells them like he like goes and says like hey here's what's going on and then you get to see the other you get to see like the dirty cop going and yeah that's that's i thought that was actually kind of yeah that's i wish you because it's not that kind of it's not the focus of the movie. It would be cool if he could do more with that. Yeah, yeah. Because and then like because that is an interesting thing to see like this cycle of corruption too. Like he yeah. rats out the people, and then uh, Sal gets to reap the rewards basically. Yeah, yeah. Or at least try to. You try to. Yeah, because like I mean, he only failed once, and that was because <laughs> he literally was caught in the act. Yeah. yeah, that's true. Which I guess with like that first raid that they do too. Uh, if. It, they make it very apparent that all Sal cares about is where their money is. Yeah. And yeah. they had this thing. Apparently, it's a real thing, which is why they put it in the movie, is, like, whenever they were raiding that place and they grabbed, like, that bag of money and they threw it into that emptied-out air conditioner, is, I guess that's actually a real thing in the Bronx, is they have these hollowed-out air conditioners where they can take off the front, put a bag of money in there, and someone on the outside could open up the back end and take the money and then run out, run out of the building with it, with the money or the drugs or whatever else. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. Yeah. Makes sense. <laughs> Something I never knew about, at least. They're but. making that much money a day. They are yeah. probably going to be pretty yeah. smart to be able to figure out how to get the money out of there if they need right. to. <laughs> yeah. There's that. And then, like, the second one, like, wherever he's actually, like, just even staring at the money while it's there. But he can't take it because there's he's in a room full of cops. Yeah. That's not even that. He's in a room with specifically the one cop that actually cares. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's actually the his, other thing. because the other name. His, I don't either, but, like, the bald cop, his friend cop. Mm-hmm. Like, he's literally the only one that cares about upholding value yeah yeah because all the other cops uh, during that poker scene we were talking about earlier um all of them are like yeah it would take money it's not a big deal like it's it's dirty money anyway like it's not on the books it doesn't really matter it's yeah we don't no one who needs it gets it yeah so like he, literally the only good cop is the only cop that saw him yeah. <laughs> in yeah. that room <laughs> and the only one who like would you know say like what are you doing yeah I will he, say- he in fact does say what are you doing yeah yeah i will say i think it's a really cool moment though that they gave him the fuck up with uh the undercover cop that it was him who shot him yeah that yeah. was good yeah. i think because like he talks up how like he's a good cop and never wants to do the wrong thing and he messed up like the first thing he just shot someone without like assessing the situation yeah yeah, yeah. which i guess is very much a real thing they kind of base that off of uh i guess in brooklyn there was a case wherever there was an off-duty cop who happened to be black, who was chasing a guy that he saw steal a car. And an on-duty officer uh, saw this black man chasing this other black man in a car and shot the off-duty officer with that. So that's actually 
something like the way that he put it in the commentary was like you can paint it whether it was like racial profiling or whatever else it's just something that happened and it, it was kind of an art um imitates life kind of thing like with the whole themes of the movie with like the racial undertones constantly i think this is racial and it's with the person who's like i'm not racist i have a black wife yeah 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 but where like yeah, he got into this situation the only thing he saw was of two a black dude shooting another black dude and he just assumed immediately yep i mean it's one of those it, it's easy to make assumptions like that when you just see a man killing another man in cold blood in the middle of the street but right. but like again my again he, yeah, he, he didn't say freeze he didn't say stop he he just shot him yeah yeah and i guess it, it happens more often than not in cases whenever a cop just sees a situation like that i mean i bet it does but yeah, that like that's wrong yeah that's like, no wrong it is it, it is definitely I mean, that's wrong. what the movie says yeah, so, yeah. like like that's yeah. the thing is like i said they kind of paint it as like you know this is why they do it but it never says it's okay they never yeah. try to paint it as okay yeah but they say, like, you know, they're put under pressure, and this is what they end up doing while they're under that pressure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But because they have that responsibility to serve the public, like, it doesn't – it makes it wrong. Yeah. Even the last part with the retired cop kind of gets into this, too, where, like, he try he notices, like, someone getting kidnapped. So he goes to do it despite being retired. Yeah, yeah. And when he gets to the situation, it's, like, it's kidnapping, but, like, no one's, like, being aggressive to him, really. Like, everyone's like, okay, what are you doing here? Yeah. Yeah, um, like he could have walked out of the situation probably. Yeah, if he really he could have called the actual police. He yeah, could have put in a report, but he wanted to be the superhero because that's all he can do. Yeah, I, I think what they're trying. Yeah, I feel like I I do agree with you, but I feel like what they're trying to paint with that one is like he never did anything with his career. Like, it doesn't say it, but it kind of like you know the fact that there's that hint that he was a marine whenever he was younger. Maybe he served in Vietnam. Maybe he like during that entire time in Vietnam, he never saw any action, or maybe he was even at a desk, and so he became a police officer and didn't really do anything with his career as a police officer. So this may be the first time he ever did anything right with his life or doing something justifiable with his life, and it's the first time he did good by himself. And like, I feel like this is a really dumb subtlety that they did for the movie, but like at the very end during that scene. Uh, both the undercover cop and the dirty cop are both going up are up in elevators because they see themselves as like you know uh dark angels almost try- doing something justifiable in their own means and then for his character he's going downstairs into a basement because he's kind of going down into his own personal hell after just being a ghost for so long and he did a lot of w- weird subtleties to make him feel like he's a ghost like if you it's really really quick it's one of those you blink you miss it kind of things but like if you see richard gear's room there's nothing in there. He doesn't even have a pillow or bed sheets he in there because he's just a ghost. Yeah, literally the first time you see him, he wakes up in oh, his room. Oh, that, yeah. right. Yeah. And at that one, like, the only thing he has is, like, his little nightstand with his whiskey and an empty gun next to it. Yeah. Because he's and, coasting through life. Yeah, basically. and that's the thing is, like, he's just a ghost coasting through life. And that's he has to go through hell in order to actually be rede- to redeem himself and be good. So, like, it's a little weird and on the nose, but, like, I get it with I that. Mean, Redeem might be a strong word for someone who murdered a guy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, to be fair, like he he murdered a human trafficker, right? But like, he still just straight up murdered a guy in a really really terrible way. True. That that was a very brutal fight scene. Yeah, yeah. That's um, I I guess we should say how these characters end their stories. Yeah. yeah. Um, the under I'll we'll each do one of them. Let's go. <laughs> well, Dryer likes the under. The retired cop story a lot, and I like the undercover cop, so I guess you could have the dirty cop. So yeah, like, it kind of ends, and, like, I feel like with his, it has one of the more powerful scenes in the entire movie. With the dirty cop. Yeah, with the dirty cop, where, like, you know, they're going to have this raid, and it was going to be, like, the final raid where he can finally get the money to pay for this house, 
and he feels super justifiable and he's kind of doing like very much in that internal turmoil of you know i'm doing wrong but i'm doing it for the right reason and there's like a lot of Apparently, the director did a lot of things, or did as much as he possibly could to like hide religious, or uh, religious, um, imagery with that character, which is why he's always wearing a crucifix and why he has a rosary in his pocket all the time and has uh, rosaries and Catholic stuff all around his house and everything. But with him, he's constantly like, if you, it's once again another subtlety is, and he does it for all the characters is that like most of them can't look at themselves in the mirror with that because like if they look at themselves, they have to come to grips with the what they're doing and it's very much his character too is he can't look himself in the mirror because he's you know he's feels like he's justifiable but he knows he's still doing wrong and this is going to be the last one but if he gets this and he gets it right then he saves his family kind of thing and then like his one friend who's trying to actually look out for him follows him and they have this scene where like they're basically getting ready to fight in the middle of the street and i feel like it was a very powerful scene to have that part wherever he says like i would do anything for my family and he says would you do anything would you go home right now and kiss your wife and kids or kids good night kind of thing and like it kind of shows like a guy who gets so prideful and thinking he's justifiable in his ways that he just doesn't see the bigger picture and i feel like it was really powerful and it was a very good scene where he does that too but even though he knows he's doing wrong and there's someone straight up telling him like this is wrong you need to go back to your family and count your blessings he shoots out his tire goes off to this building again or goes off to this building and honestly with this scene i thought that it was going to be he went to the wrong house because he said, like, it's a bust. Like, don't worry about it. We're not doing the raid tonight. So I thought it was yeah. going to be the wrong house whenever I first saw this scene. Yeah. But, like, he just goes in the scene, guns blazing, and shoots the people inside. And, like, he tried to make it gritty of, like, this weird scene where, like, there's a, a picture of a waterfall right underneath a blood splatter where he just shot a guy while he's, like, checking or searching his house for money and not finding anything. And it's very, like, gritty and, like, like oh, shit kind of thing. And, like, I had this moment when I first saw the movie of, like, he's going to lose his job because he just killed innocent people for no reason kind of thing. But then he opens up first, he opens up the uh, oven oven and sees a little bit of money in there, but not a whole lot. And then he opens up the washer and it's like full of money. And he starts taking out these bricks of money and like starts stuffing his pockets. And then like the lookout that was outside the building that saw him walk in shoots him. And he basically like dies cold and alone at the end of that. And so it's just kind of like, very much a movie of like or very much a story of watching a police officer like just kind of lose his soul but like i kind of see this movie as like a weird um like unofficial sequel of like maybe that's the same cop from training day maybe after that happened in training day they had to move him to a different department he ended up going to new york and like living with his family there because um i guess it's not a huge spoiler because at the very beginning of the movie but his wife's pregnant in training day so like maybe this is his story afterwards like and then he realized, like, he starts to think of, like, maybe he was right all along, this corrupt guy who uh, that I met beforehand. And, like, kind of, even though he tried being a good cop, he ends up going down the same path that this other guy went down. And kind of almost like, um, I don't want to call it, like, a Paradise Lost kind of story, but, like, a story of someone losing their way, if you will, and going down a dark path that leads him down, or le- something that leads him down a dark path that leads to a bad end for him. And it kind of leaves it somewhat open-ended with it, of, like, you don't know what happens to his family afterwards. Like maybe the family does get the hundred thousand dollars for his death. And like they're set afterwards, even though they lost their father kind of thing. And even though like he did this for his family, he lost more than he gained because he lost his life. And like maybe his family isn't taken care of after this because of it. Right. We should go over the ending of the undercover guy. Yeah, okay. the I undercover feel like that cop. was a lot of places. Yeah. Uh, the undercover cop 
after the death of his friend Kaz due to a trade gone wrong, he meets up with the people who tried to set him up with to get to his promotion and realizes that all went terribly wrong because they didn't plan for any of it. So all of it was for nothing, basically. Pretty much. Yeah. And after, the, I think his name's Bill, but the guy he talks to the most says to just take his life back. He decides to just get revenge for his only friend. Yeah. And so all the decisions he makes at the end are just based very much out of anger. Yeah. So he goes to where, because I guess it was the same bus or the same place that they were going anyways yeah so it seems like everybody's ending happens in these two buildings Mm -hmm. um like uh sal is in one building and then the undercover cop and tango old cop are in the same building one is in the top floor then the street and then the other guy is just in the basement but um so yeah so tango's going in like just getting revenge shooting basically the main people who caused all of this. He he spares one guy to be like, yeah, he still has some... Yeah, I don't want to call it, I think I call it morality because he, it, yeah. he's still sh- gunning down people. But I, I think it's one of those, like, he saw he didn't see him as the guy who shot Kaz. He sees him as, you know, maybe he was the wheel man or something, or maybe he had nothing to do with it. Yeah, because I don't even think that character was anywhere else anyways. He, he was, in, just he was kind, in a few scenes of yeah, the movie. Yeah, he was mostly in the background. Yeah, right. but I, I actually kind of thought that scene was really funny. She's like, hey man, I don't have any I don't have any bad blood with you. I think we're fine. He like takes the clip out of his gun, yeah, he's puts like, the I'm gun not. down. To be fair, that's probably how I would react in a situation like that. Like like I have nothing to do with this. I'm fucking <laughs> Yeah, I'm backing out. I'm backing yeah. out. I don't want to get shot. But yeah, he shoots he kills one guy immediately, and then the other guy's wounded pretty bad, and he follows that guy down to the street, and that guy's like, Man, I didn't I didn't mean to have it happen like this, basically. And like, we could we could just move on, we could do it together, and he's like I'm an undercover cop. <laughs> like, you like, motherfucker. Yeah, like, you motherfucker. <laughs> all this, all these years for nothing, basically. Yeah. He's like, and you're just going to gun me down in the street. Yep. Bam. Also, I'm not, like, paraphrasing. Like, that's no, a li- it happens that quick. That's a, that's a line in the movie, though, like, basically. You're he's just going to gun like, me down the streets? Yes. Bam, 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 bam. I love it. It's <laughs> hilarious, but also it's so powerful. Yeah. yeah. Like, good. it's, I mean, it's, like, basically showing his, he's broken. He's like, yes, I what do you what do you want? Yeah, this is what's happening. What do you expect now? <laughs> so he goes down, and this is where the Sal's friend shows up and shoots Tango as well. Yep. Ending his story. Yep. And then with the retiree uh, old man, his story takes place in the basement of that same building, and he's been he's followed these human traffickers. He's seen the human trafficking throughout the movie a couple of times when he goes to visit his prostitute friend or lover, or whatever that situation is. It's yeah. not really detailed a ton. It's not detailed. I think what, what the subtlety with that one is, is, like, that's all he really has. And, like, there is that last scene that they have with him where he says, like, where he tells her, like, run away with me to Connecticut. Yeah, and she's, she's like, like, fuck yourself. Yeah, I'm not going to Connecticut. Like, this is, like, <laughs> it kind of shows, like, for her, like, for him, this is a connection. This is, like, the one person he thought he could trust. And for her, it was business. Like, yep. it was just another day. It was another client. It was another John. And, like, you know, hookers don't go run off with their Johns. They just you know do what they do and for her like if you also notice everything's sexual with her too because like yep. that's that's oh, yeah. what she knows i will say props on this movie for having like a prostitute character and not being the villain or yeah. like a yeah. bad person she, yeah that's just her bad, job yeah that's what yeah. she does yeah yeah so after the last visit and she kicks him out he's outside and this van that he's been seeing take what these people he's been seeing take these women into a van he's like fuck it i'm gonna follow because earlier in the movie he saw a missing persons poster in the precinct 
and he happened to see that girl being put into the van now. And so he follows that van, the only car on the street, by yep. the way. It's the, it's the van and him, and he puts his headlights, and he's like 10 feet behind the van. They would have fucking noticed. <laughs> I'm just going to say that right now. The van has no mirrors. They... <laughs> <laughs> um, so he follows the van, and that van just happens to go to the same little block area where everything else is happening in the movie. Follows them into the basement, goes down there. He sees that there is, in fact, sex trafficking, and they're getting them hooked on drugs and stuff like that, so they become dependent on them, as yeah. is uh, yeah. unfortunately... It's a horrible, fucked-up reality yeah. about the sex trafficking world. Yes. Um, and so he goes in, frees them, ties one dude up, and then the other guy goes in there, uh, a second guy that's involved in all this, mm-hmm. and he's like, just put your gun down, somebody suck this dude's dick, get him out of here, like, we're done, why are you even here? Like, kind of trying to de-escalate the situation in a way he knows how, which is very strange, but... Yeah. And well, I'm going to say, like, I think that's more like hinting at there probably are just cops that are involved. Yeah. for Yeah. 100%. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so he, he doesn't go along with that. He shoots the guy, gets in this horrible fight. And then something I never thought about, but it was so fucking brutal in this fight is he gets the zip tie and puts it around the guy's neck and just keeps pulling. And I never thought about how brutal that is, but it's yeah fucking horrifying yeah Yeah. (laughs) it was horrifying to watch in that movie yeah like that's fucking brutal honestly and so the guy strangles because he can't undo a fucking zip tie um to be fair like there is no way for him to actually like there would be no way for him to undo you'd either cut your neck open or you are you oh yeah you choked to death yeah like i mean that guy's pretty strong as evidenced by having a bullet through his heart and still fucking up the cop yeah, I, that is one thing that the director did say about this scene is like you you get so used to movies of like someone getting shot and then like falling over and dying, but you don't realize that in some cases, more often than not, is whenever you get shot, there's a bunch of adrenaline going through your body. Yeah, it's true. And like, like, oh, that's the thing in this. Yeah, people don't just fall over and die when they're shot in this no. movie, which is like, pretty accurate. Like, oh fuck, I'm dying. Yeah, like shit, I'm shot, you motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> I, so he has this fight. He ends up. Saving these women, and the only quote-unquote good thing he's done in his whole career was after his career was over, and you just see him walk out, you see the ambulances, you see a bunch of cop cars, nobody's there to talk to him, greet him, anything like that, and he just walks away. And that's kind of, they wanted to show that too, of like, even though he did this good thing, he's not treated like a hero or anything, he's just, you know, after he gave his statement and everything's said and done, he doesn't know what to do, he's just kind of like, looking around in the street and like, "I, I guess I'm going home now. Yeah. Which, like, and like, is something that I think is interesting. Like, the movie doesn't really go into it. I imagine the commentary did go into that. But, like, something that it isn't said in the movie, and I think it's really interesting that a lot of, like, these kind of movies don't go into because it would just be really... Boring. A downer. Oh. Um, is like, after you've done, like, the big heroic thing, like, everybody goes home at the end of the day. Like, you go home and you sit in your bed and you sleep in the quiet and, like, everybody's day yeah, ends the same just, way. Yeah, it's just kind of, <laughs> okay, now what? Right, like... That's that that is a very interesting thing that I think most movies don't go over. Yeah. Um but yeah, that's that's how everybody's story ends. Yeah. So and like unlike what you thought during the movie, the retiree actually gets to live. Yeah. yeah that's the that's only the entire one. movie you were saying, like, oh no, a week from retirement. He's definitely gonna die. Yeah. Like the new guy did die, but also he wasn't that important of a character anyways. No, no he wasn't. I think it was trying to show like the different kind of rookies that go in there, like some that go gung ho, some that seeing it yeah. as a nine to five, some that get a power trip because those are definitely people who join the police academy as people yeah. who have a power trip and need to feel big and strong while they're yeah. out there. Yep. I guess I'll go into my final thoughts here. All right. Um, I like I said, I I don't I don't dislike this movie in any way. Um, I there's a lot of parts in it that I actually like a lot. 
And it's the kind of thing to where I wish it was like a six episode miniseries or something yeah. like that. Because I feel like these characters... I would have actually rather enjoyed it as like a miniseries with like six or seven episodes. Yeah, two episodes per character sounds yeah. pretty good. Yeah, like, oh yeah, that'd be great. Because I feel like every character had a deeper story that was hinted at, but the movie just doesn't have time to get into. And I, I can't, I, like I said, like every one of these characters could have been their own movie. And so that's why I said like, it would have been perfect for a miniseries because you could have really gone into these characters way more. For what they had, what they had two hours and five minutes. Yeah. Uh, basically, like, I think they did an okay job, but like I said, it was way more ambitious on the writer's part for how limited the yeah. time they had. And so he tried to push a lot more characterization in there that fit for some of these characters. Right. And I guess another thing that the director did say, which I don't agree with him on this, but something that he said is he saw all three of these characters as the same character. Which I don't really agree with that, but that's kind of how he was trying to film it, I guess. And like the thing, I guess one thing that's to the, like not to the credit of the movie, I guess, but like one thing that whenever I was reading reviews of this movie that a lot of people were getting pissy about is that this movie's not training day. And like I think people (laughs) walked into this movie hoping for training day two. Yeah. Well, you got training day two out of it. Yeah. I, yeah. With my own little side story with Sal. Yeah. Like, I kind of did. But that's only because like I kind of to be fair, like my like my little head cannon could be chopped all these different ways. Like, yeah, that doesn't make sense. But like it's funner for me. It's funner to think of ways why it would work than it is to think of ways why it wouldn't work. Yeah. But yeah, like ultimately, I think I did enjoy it. I don't love it. I'm never going to watch it again. I don't think just because I don't think there's enough meat on those bones to keep gnawing at it. I would give it an eight, honestly. Okay. Yeah. Considering the last movie I brought, I will take it. (laughs) (laughs) And then, E, what are your final thoughts on this movie? Uh, I still stand by my original. This is pretty good. It is quite directionless. Um, I'm a lot more lenient on lacking a clear direction than Dry is, (laughs) as evidenced by the types of shows we both watch. Yes. In a lot of ways. Um, A lot of it for me is, like, I do really... Uh, agree with the sentiment of it's about the journey not the destination um that being said i would like a bit more focus in this movie i think there is some like really cool things i do really like that they did tackle the racism issues in the police force i think that was done in a really good way and especially for 2010 like that was not the time people were ready to hear about police being terrible Right. Yeah. I mean, people. St- a lot of I people think, still aren't yeah. ready for yeah. the fact that police are terrible. So I really do commend it for that. And I think, not now, obviously, because now is probably not the time to make this movie again. I think there is <laughs> something to be said, like, if they tried this again. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That could really, like, boil down the point, especially, like, if you could take some of the actual accounts of what. Because, like, I know, like, the police shooting high schoolers was is a very prevalent thing, unfortunately. Yeah. So there is that. But, like. There's a lot more, like, real, real-ass cases that would really fit the bill for this movie. Yeah. So I would love if they would take another crack at it. Um, I'm not, like, super into the police movies, which this is kind of more an anti- antithesis to those kinds of movies. I, I imagine, again, I haven't seen a lot. <laughs> and the other one I've seen is also an antithesis to <laughs> police right. movies. Yeah. But, um, so, like, I'm not, like, super into, like, the structure of watching police officers all the time but very very enjoyable um i just like i do like the characters and i really like the undercover cop if he had a little bit more that'd be great but i think he's a really interesting character that has something to him that 
not a lot of movies are really willing to dwell into, I would argue. Right, yeah. All that said, weirdly enough, I'm going to have a lower rating than Dry. I am going to give this a 7. Okay. Okay. Uh, I guess Why before- you hated it? <laughs> <laughs> um, for one, I think it's actually worth noting that um, a lot of shots that were done in the Bronx for this, because like a lot of this was done in the projects of Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't remember the name of the actual projects, but like it actually is like one of the projects that they yeah, were yeah. in for it. Um, they took a lot of extra care, especially by the director, for the people who lived in the area, and a lot of the side characters and a lot of the people you see in the background are people who just lived in Brooklyn that were just part of the you know part of what was going on with that movie and you know they saw it as a good project and like some that they wanted to be a part of and uh he tried to use nuances without being exploitive he was very careful about that um did he, he pay them do you know yes as a matter of fact even with that he went out of his way to donate a camera to uh, to some film or to uh, he donated a camera to this, um, I guess, a film school. It's like a club for one of the high schools there. But like they're doing documentaries and like teaching the kids how to become film or how to become like um, filmmakers and everything mm. and like how to do all the different jobs. And so like he uh, used that school uh, or like that little club to teach these kids how to make these movies and even donated like an actual Hollywood camera to them so they can like film documentaries and like learn how to do everything wow. that they need to do for that. Which I thought that was really cool that he was doing that for the or for the kids there and yeah. everything and like you know. Hopefully, keep you know, them off the streets. Yeah, we'll keep them off the streets, and hopefully, <laughs> like, you know, give them a better life. Yeah, and overall, for sure. With that, that's amazing. But all in all, with my final thoughts, once again, I'm into gritty and dark movies like this. Like most of the movies that I watch are dark, and this adds on to like the dark our darkness with it. And this is like a gritty crime drama, but it is also realistic with like the corruption, and it, it has. It's one of the few movies that will admit that there is a systematic corruption to our system. And it is, in a weird way, like, like I said, it's almost apologetic, but it also doesn't justify what it is. And I, it does it in a realistic way that I think, it's, I think it's good the way that they did it. Even though, like, I do agree with Drya, each story should have been flushed out more if this was, like, an HBO or maybe even a Star series and Stars owns the company <laughs> that actually distributed this movie. It was, like, an actual miniseries with that. Like, I think it could have been better. It could have been maybe even the next Wire with that. But I do honestly really enjoy this movie i'd give it an 8.5 cool. even though like it does have its short art it does have its downfalls but all in all it's a good movie i'd recommend it all right cool okay um e hi if you want to get a hold of us where can they do that we have a twitter we have an instagram we got a facebook the last ones in or the last ones in podcast you'll just look up both. I, I never remember which is which. Uh, <laughs> You're smart. I trust in you, trust me. Yeah. <laughs> we have an email. The last ones in podcast at gmail.com. Once again, that is the last ones in podcast at gmail.com. I'm not going to say sending anything specific this week. I don't, I don't have a good one. <laughs> Send us your bloody $10 bills. <laughs> No, actually, <laughs> no. the blood part's a little off-putting for me. <laughs> you could send us $10 bills if you want, though. I'd be cool with that. if you can email that. Ah, we'll figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> email us a picture of a $10 bill. I don't think we're legally allowed to say that. Oh, yeah, but a picture right. of a $10 bill? Yeah don't, yeah, don't give us money. And take us out of right here, Robbie. So, whether this is your very first episode, or even with us since the very beginning, 
thank you for listening. We really do appreciate it. And if you're going to be out there amongst the public, be safe and be careful. Wear a mask. Wash your hands for at least 20 seconds. Stay six feet apart from people. But if not, remember to stay home, stay alone, and stay alive. Have a great week, everybody. See ya. Bye. Bye.